Hi everyone, it has been a hot ass minute, hasn't it? So first and foremost, a bunch of you actually reached out to me to let me know that you heard my cat and so much so that she made such an impression on so many of you that you thought a cat had accidentally come into your home or your office. If you follow me on Facebook, you'll notice that I have posted a picture of this cat who loves the limelight. Her name is Cersei, and I just, I find it very funny that she made such an impression on so many people. <laughs> You'll notice that last week I didn't unfortunately upload an episode. It has been a crazy-ass week. A friend of mine came in from out of town, and we've been friends since we could walk, basically. And we don't actually see each other a lot because they live out of town and with COVID. And we finally got the chance to see each other and have a couple a good portion of time to ourselves just the two of us which hasn't happened in a very 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 long time it was pretty good so moving forward if you're new here this is murder mystery and history my name's christy so i wanted to go back to new orleans tonight and it's probably one of those places where if i had the chance i would go there would never be like do you want to go oh let me think about it no Let's do this. Like, it, there would always be, if that's, if the choice is New Orleans, we're going. We're going. Fight me. So what I want to talk about is Zach and Addie. And it was this couple in New Orleans who made quite the impact. And most of their story happens post-Hurricane Katrina. Now, if you don't know about Hurricane Katrina hitting New Orleans, not to, like, date not to like age myself or anything here, but I remember when that happened, it was awful. It was, people were, it was awful. It was awful. I just remember that there were the news, everybody was reporting on Hurricane Katrina and how it was time to evacuate New Orleans. People were gonna lose everything. And it was a level five hurricane, which is apocalyptic in my opinion. And it, decimated and destroyed New Orleans and there are places in New Orleans that still are not the same after Hurricane Katrina and that breaks my heart breaks my heart so let's give a little background on Zach and Addie so Addie Hall was this beautiful free-spirited woman she found her she was an independent artist who would consider herself a poet an artist a dancer she was also a bartender with a lot of friends now, she would always bartend in the French Quarter, which is a very popular neighborhood in New Orleans. And the thing is, like, when you're a bartender, you make lots of friends, and everybody kind of kind of knew who Addie was. And you would see her riding her bike around the quarter to get where she needed to go and to, go, and to, and to her job as a bartender. And she would often call herself a, quarter, a quarter-ishin. And to her, that was someone who belonged and was part of the French Quarter. And the thing is, as an artist, when you're trying to have your art understood and seen, it's hard because you're trying to balance your artistic life with the life that pays the bills. And it's just hard. But Addie, admits all of this, felt as though New Orleans was her muse. But 
she also was battling her own addictions and her own demons. So let's talk about Zach. So Zach Bowen was this charismatic, handsome young man, and he left an impression on everybody who he met. Now, Zach would grow up in California, and he had like the typical laid-back attitude, stereotypically someone would think that someone from California would have. Zach would end up marrying young, and he would marry a woman who was 10 years older than him, named Lana, and they would have two children together. And in order to provide for his family now, he would join the, the United States Army, just for the benefits it could provide. And that decision alone dictated the rest of his life, in essence. So let's talk about when Zach was in the Army. So he was an active member of the military, and he did a few tours, one in Iraq and Kosovo. And these were done pre-9-11. Now, I was doing something for school, and someone said to me, this is so off-topic, but it makes sense about what I'm, what I'm about to say. And someone had said to me, the only thing I know about 9-11 is what I read on a history book and what my parents told me. And I like looked at this person, I'm like, were, were you alive when 9-11 happened? And they were like, no, I wasn't even born yet. And that made me feel very old because I remember sitting in junior high and the teacher had pressed the button on the phone to listen to the news. And we all listened as 9-11 happened. Not to age myself or anything, but that's just a, a little tangent we went off on. So he, Zach was an active member prior to 9-11. And if you don't know what 9-11 is, I suggest you Google it. That's a whole nother podcast for a whole nother day. I've already gone off on my tangent. So Zach would find himself traumatized from being in the military. He saw a fellow soldier's death and it was pretty sudden and it, it really got to him. And that's, that's understandable. If you see someone die, that's, that's a hard thing to do. But the thing that was kind of the nail in the coffin, for lack of better terms, is he witnessed the death of a child who he, who he befriended. And the child was killed for conversing with American soldiers. And that's, that's hard. That's hard. So as if all of this, those two events combined, weren't enough, Zach actually had ill-fitting shoes and it actually created a severe and painful case of something called hammer toe so if you're like me and you had no idea what hammer toe is it is a curl in the bend of the joint of the toe it's actually fairly painful because it is an actual it changes into a deformity and this occurs due to an imbalance in muscles tendons or ligaments so your your toes would be bending at unnatural parts of your toe, which would be pretty, pretty painful, actually. So now all of this is going on, and then he actually has something going wrong with his body. And he starts getting disenchanted and disillusioned with the military. So Zach now is purposely trying to fail health and fitness tests so he can go, so he can leave. He doesn't want to be in the army anymore. And he's trying to do everything he can to get out of the army. So he actually gets generally discharged, which means that he loses all his health benefits. 
and his wife Lana was diagnosed with hepatitis C and she was very ill. So now he's lost his benefits. He's lost his job. What do you think happens? Lana takes the kids and she decides to leave him. So now Zach is beyond devastated. He's lonely. He's depressed. He doesn't have a job. He doesn't have anything. So he goes to New Orleans and his mind starts to slowly unravel. It slowly starts to fail him as he tries to transition back to a normal life. Because when you think about it this way, I this is a guess. If you are in the army or any kind of military service, please correct me if I'm wrong. I'm assuming there's a before you and an after you, and it's hard to regulate those two, especially the after you to regular life. Again, if somebody is in the military and I am incorrect about that, please correct me, but that is a guess of mine. Now, Zach will find odd jobs around the French Quarter after he's discharged. So one of the things I just want to touch on lightly here, this is only a guess of mine, but one in four active duty members of military will show signs of mental health conditions that will need to be treated. So we can safely assume that Zach probably did have PTSD just based off of what happened during his tours. And I think depression he would have as well. I don't know if he ever got hit in the head, but that was another thing is traumatic brain injury is something that's fairly common. So let's talk Hurricane Katrina. So Hurricane Katrina starts in late August of 2005. And this is why like people were so drawn to the story of Zach and Addie, honestly. Actually, let's, okay. So let's back up a little bit. A large part of this story does take place in Katrina, but we got to go a few weeks before. So Addie is bartending while she meets Zach. And Addie gives him a rough time. And she jokes around with him. And everybody thinks it's a big joke, but this was how she would flirt with him. And Addie would later state that she did this as a way to ensure that Zach could handle her. Addie, unfortunately, had her own demons that she was fighting. She was suffering from bipolar disorder, and she didn't take her medications regularly. And what happens when you don't take the medications with such a serious mental health issue is you have these episodes of angry, uncontrollable rage. And that's a big part of what happens. So they had been dating for a few weeks, if that, before Hurricane Katrina came into view. So Addie decides she's going to stick out this Category 5 hurricane at her apartment. Which, I don't know about you, but if there's a Category 5 hurricane, I'm sorry. Like, I'm leaving. I'm going somewhere safe. But Zach... Zach had every... Zach was going to leave New Orleans and stay with his estranged wife, Lana, and their kids. Just to get out of the storm, just to have somewhere to go. And Lana even said, like, yeah, bring your girlfriend. I just want her to be safe. But Addie wanted to be independent. She wanted to live a life for her. And she wasn't leaving the city. She refused. So before Zach leaves, he decides he's going to check on Addie. And he decided then he can't leave her. 
he cannot leave her to weather this 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 hurricane by herself so they huddle in, down into her apartment and they settle in and they wait so when katrina hit new orleans it would hit new orleans directly there was awful horrible flooding catastrophic is probably the best word 2000 fatalities just from this hurricane alone but interestingly enough the french quarter was unscathed all that was all that happened to the french quarter was some fallen tree limbs broken signage and just some general debris so zach and addy decide they're going to see if anybody's still in the french quarter see if anybody's there and they start treating it as though this is it's this giant party so they're they've got all these people who have stayed they brought them into the apartment they're doing dinners together over campfire they're drinking booze they're singing songs they're stargazing and it's hard to sit here and think that there's romance in a category 5 hurricane but it seemed like somehow it was magical to them and it was from this point forward they were inseparable they were so swept up together that Zack and Addy were absolutely oblivious to what was going on 3 blocks away just it was bizarre Once cleanup of the city started, it was kind of like the honeymoon's over now. And Zach and Addie are now forced to watch as people are sweeping their lives out of their front doors. And they find themselves going, I wish it was just us again. I wish it was just us here alone. Now, Zach's PTSD comes in in full force now because he sees military vehicles moving in. And there's no turning back. So now they're both sober, I want to say. They've gotten some sort of natural high from this hurricane, some sort of adrenaline. And now it's gone. It's over. That magic for the both of them is completely gone. So what are you going to do when there's no more magic left? You go find it in drugs and alcohol. And this is kind of where it starts going down pretty quickly, pretty badly. So, like I said, Zach's struggling with PTSD and now he's seeing all the military vehicles. It's triggering him and he's already in a very hard place mentally. So, he's starting to go as the weeks go on, as the days go on. Zach and Addie are starting to depend on drugs and alcohol with mental health symptoms not symptoms with mental health issues and illnesses that were never treated and it's at this point where it's going to start crumbling and it's at this point in our story where it just goes to a really dark place 
And just a side note on Hurricane Katrina and Zach and Addie, they actually made like a couple of papers. I think Time came and took a picture of them, like Time Magazine, just because they, it, it was bizarre. So they got a little bit of media publicity for doing something completely dangerous. So now it's back to the nine to five. They're back to the regular lifestyle they were leading before Katrina. Bills are piling up. Jobs came back up. Responsibilities returned to a couple who felt so free during a hurricane. It's important to note that Zach came with an ex-wife and a couple of children. Addie, for her part, didn't want responsibility of his children. She didn't want to have anything to do with his ex-wife. She just wanted Zach. And interestingly enough, this is when the emotional abuse and pain starts to consume both of them. So they would have violent fights, absolutely violent fights. Zach would be unfaithful to Addie. Addie would have these episodes from her bi bipolar disorder because she's not make, make, medicating properly. So now their fights are getting violent and they want to stay together, but they don't understand what they need to do to make this relationship healthy. So what do you think the proper solution would be here? Zach and Addie got a new apartment together. That was their solution. They would be walking down a street named Rampart and they would come and see her for rent sign. So the for rent sign was for an apartment above a voodoo temple and apparently it was available immediately and they had tips around a couple of months worth of tips in their pockets from their restaurant jobs so they were able to move in right away so just to talk about rampart street this is apparently an infamous place that was a voodoo temple and it was considered a well-respected and cultural place in new orleans and there are a few people who would say that the voodoo history of the location would have something to do with Zach's mental illness, the violent outbursts. Um, but it's there's no real evidence towards that. But this this is what people like to say because people don't understand the voodoo religion. So I mean, there are people who live in this apartment today, and they they have said they have said that. They've experienced paranormal activity, feelings of being watched, voices, walls pressing in. And as of now, the building is currently leased by another voodoo priestess who's turning it into a museum of the paranormal with tours of the apartment, which I don't. If somebody's dying in a location, I don't think you should be giving paranormal tours or like trying to get the dead to speak to you. I find that very disrespectful. And that's an opinion and certainly mine. I have stated that multiple times. So they've moved in and Addie discovers that Zach's cheating on her again. One thing you need to understand about Addie is she had been in multi she had been in abusive relationships before, and she wasn't gonna have that again. This was not something that she wanted. So They've packed a few boxes. Addie finds out that Zach's been cheating on her. So Addie goes to the landlord and she asks that the lease for the apartment be in her name only. 
And this was kind of like her last straw. I think she was getting ready to kick Zach out. Like, that's enough now. This was, for her, people have stated that this was the end all. She was done. She was absolutely done. She was not going to let him walk all over her. And she felt the relationship was over. So the landlord agrees and gives her a handwritten contract and hopes that Addy sorts it out with Zach. That's all he wants. He just wants the rent. You know what I mean? So he, he kind of hopes they get back together. They don't have to do this, blah, blah, blah. So when Zach finds out that Addy went and did this, he's inconsolable. He's frustrated. He's angry. He's mad. So what happens next? This is where it gets absolutely brutal. Um, if you have a problem with dismemberment, this is probably the end of the episode that you should not listen to. So it's October 5th. It's a Thursday, 2006. It's 1 a.m. Zach strangles Addie to death. He's drunk. He falls asleep next to her corpse. And this is hard for me. Um, and he commits necrophilia. And for those of you who don't know what necrophilia is, that is sex with a dead body. And he gets up the next day and he goes to work like nothing happened. He gets drunk, strangles his girlfriend, and commits necrophilia and just goes to work and is like, hey bitches, what's up? Like, are you kidding me? So his co-workers, when they when they when they're asked about how was Zach the next day? Like, do you guys know anything? How was he acting? So Zach was acting very quiet. He wore sunglasses, a hat. He just wasn't acting normal. So the next couple of days are pretty hard. So Zach dismembers Addie's body in their bathtub in several days. And he does this with a hacksaw and a knife. So he puts pieces of her corpse in the stove, on top of the stove, in the fridge. His end game here was to eat Addie's corpse. And that alone is very disturbing if you are disturbed at this you should be one of the things that like is really weird about this is so he's he's dismembering her corpse but he proceeds to give her a haircut give her dismembered head a haircut because what the hell so he puts her head inside of a pot on the front of the stove he puts her feet in and her feet her feet and her hands in another pot on the back burner of the stove. So her legs and her arms are in a roasting pan in the oven and her torso is in a trash bag in the fridge. So I can't even imagine like the pressure that you have to do to break a bone, much less saw through one. I can't imagine that nobody didn't hear a constant like of a saw like that's that is a lot and to cut through bone 
to cut through tendon, to cut through muscle, that takes work. PTSD or not, this is a, this is hard to dismember a body like this and just the force that you would have to use to cut through muscle and tendon and bone is is mind-boggling in my in my mind. I can't even imagine the work he had to do. This sounds like I'm glorifying what he did. I'm actually very disgusted. He dismembered a body. Um, so he wanted to separate bone from flesh, and this was to hand. This was easily to dispose of her body. And I personally, I feel as though. There was a little bit... I, I feel like he was going to eat, eat her flesh. I do. I feel like that's what I feel like. But there were autopsy reports done, and it would confirm that there were no signs that he tried to eat any of her body. But her body part is in the stove. And so... Addie's friends are starting to get worried. They don't know where she is. So they start calling Zach. They start asking Zach. So he tells them she went back to North Carolina and some people just readily accepted this, but other people were like, she loved New Orleans. She wouldn't have left. but Addie could be unpredictable. According to her friends, Addie would run away from situations out of her control. These were things her friends would say about her, but Addie didn't run away. Zach knew exactly where she was. Zach knew exactly what he did. So this happened when the murder happened on October 5th. October 5th. So now, Tuesday evening, October 17th. Well over a week. It's nearly two weeks, actually, after the murder of Addie, after he has dismembered her body. Zach Bowen will commit another act of violence so on the seventh floor of the omni royal orleans hotel zach jumps zach commits suicide he leaves behind a handwritten note his dog tags from the army and gate keys to addy's apartment in his pocket so you're probably asking yourself what does the letter say what what happens from here because you're thinking, well, if he commits suicide, this easily could have been pinned, quote-unquote, to somebody else because Zach's dead. So he leaves this handwritten note and his dog tags inside a plastic bag in his back pocket. The letter on it, it says, police only. And this letter will take detectives to Zach and Addie's landlord. And they start questioning him. And... They quickly discovered the contents of Zach's letter were true. So they get into Zach's, Zach and Addie's apartment. And the first thing they notice is the apartment's freezing and there's no smell. And it was on full blast. It, like the air conditioning in the apartment was on full blast. And it was cold. Similar to a meat locker. So there's no smell in the apartment, which is interesting. But there's the bathroom, when they go into it, there's no blood, which is interesting enough. So Zach's cleaned up, 
all the blood from the bathtub when he's dismembering Addie. As they're walking through the apartment, they see little, little letters written on the walls in spray paint. I love her. I'm a total failure. And finally, look in the oven with an arrow pointing to the stove door. <sighs> so they open up the stove. They start finding pieces of Addie. They're opening pot covers. They're opening the fridge. They're finding all of Addie here. Now, the reason that this is so disturbing is because Addie's dismembered parts sat there. And I can tell you that, well, cold temperatures stop decomposition. It doesn't completely stop it. So there still would have been, it, the body still would have been decomposing, but at a less quick rate. But it is still no doubt disturbing to find, find these pieces of the body. So the letter Zach wrote to the police is, this is not accidental. I had to take my own life to pay for the one I took. If you send a patrol car to 826 North Rampart, you will find the dismembered corpse of my girlfriend Addie in the oven, on the stove, and in the fridge, and a full signed confession from myself, Zach Bowen. So, interestingly enough, the police will find Addie's journal, and they'll actually find another letter from Zach. Today is Monday, 16th, October, 2 a.m. I killed her at 1 a.m. Thursday, October 5th, I very calmly strangled her. It was very quick. Halfway through the task, I stopped and thought about what I was doing. The decision to halt the first idea and move to plan B, the crime scene you are now in, came after a while. I scared myself, not by the action of calmly strangling the woman I've loved for one and a half years and then desecrating her body, but my entire lack of remorse. I've known forever how horrible of a person I am, ask anyone, and decided to quit my jobs and spend the $1,500 cash I had being happy until I killed myself. So that's what I did. Good food, good drugs, good strippers, good friends, and any loose ends I may have had, I didn't contact any of my family. So that'll explain the shock. The shock, pardon me. And had a fantastic time living out my days. It's just about time now. And that's it. He leaves this, this note about how he killed the woman he was allegedly in love with. And the fact of the matter, he says he doesn't even feel bad for it. He just did what he wanted to do for the rest of his days. And unfortunately, both of these people were struggling from mental health issues. And I think that's the basis of this story. So they were both struggling. And then you add in drugs and alcohol. And you add in the fact that Zach wasn't faithful to Addie. And it was just disastrous from, from the get-go. And it's just so sad that he killed her, honestly. This was a doomed relationship from the beginning. So, 
That is the story of Zach and Addie. The best praise I can ever get is if you share the podcast with a friend. And now you're probably asking yourself, how can they listen? Well, you can always follow me on Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Overcasts, CastBox, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, and Stitcher. So, if there is a bizarre murder you want me to talk about, just email me at murdermysteryandhistory at gmail.com. Or you can follow me on Facebook at Murder Mystery and History, same profile picture as the podcast. Or you can tweet me at Mur- Murder Mystery and History. Do we even still tweet? I don't even know. I don't even know. So. That's how you can reach me. Until we meet again.